My guest today is Romain Fleury, who is Release Readiness Consultant at Cornerstone, a learning and employee growth platform provider. He works on communicating releases to HR and IT administrators, making sure they adopt the latest functionalities and get the most of their platform through releases. Roman's role isn't common and would more often than not be covered by product marketing teams. We talk about the best ways to create useful documentation for customers and partners, as well as everything that happens behind the scenes from webinar preparation to translation. People in Roman's role are often outnumbered by product managers, so you can get some real tips on how to make their life easier by collaborating better. Enjoy. Hi, I'm your host, Magali Pellissier, and I'm a product manager. Welcome to Product Perspectives, the podcast for product people that gives a voice to their stakeholders. Each week, I show you the other side of the product. I interview the people who contribute to making products a success. They are engineers, writers, marketers, support analysts, UX designers, or even salespeople. Not only will I give them the credit they deserve, but will uncover what makes a good product and a good product manager from their perspective. Stakeholders management is a key skill for product managers. So just as you are obsessed with listening to your customers, let's hear from your stakeholders. Thank you very much, Romain, for being with me today. I'm very excited because you are the first release readiness consultant in this podcast. Can you tell me what your role is about then? Thanks. Yeah. Thanks a lot for, for inviting me. Yeah, release readiness consultant is really less common. Basically, I communicate new features and announcements to customers linked to releases. So really, it's feature oriented. We also deliver training. We train clients on new features, really the big ones, when there's really a disruption in their work and they have to adopt a really big new feature. And I do a lot of localization also because, you know, I'm based in EMEA, I'm based in France, and I localize, so translate a lot of assets from English to French. Right. So help me have some context here. So who do you report to in the hierarchy? Do you report to the product organization or is it more customer success? We have a university division, like a lot of companies now. We are in the university or customer experience now at Cornerstone. My manager is release readiness manager. Compared to other companies, we don't really have a release manager. Where a release manager in other companies is more tech. For us, it's more an hybrid of different positions, basically, to the other role of a release manager and really do the police and track features and stuff. It's different roles who do it. So release readiness is really more documentation oriented. Okay, so can you help me understand the complexity of a product you're working with? Because you said it's important to train customers on features that may disrupt their work. So what type of product do you work with and how complex yeah. is it? So Cornerstone On Demand is a human capital management platform. The base module was learning. They really started with learning. Some of the companies are really big, starting from other modules, performance and, and stuff like that. It's really all about the employee growth, employee growth within the company. So you are, a, as an end user, you are an employee in a company. 
you connect to your learning platform, then a lot of, a lot of cases the learning platform would be provided by Cornerstone. You do your performance review, it's part of the performance module. That's the performance thing from Cornerstone. There's also recruiting and there's also core HR. So it's more like a hub where the HR admins basically would connect the system to other systems and integrate with other systems, payroll and stuff like that. And so, yeah, it's four big suites, a lot of different modules, about 25 product managers on the Cornerstone product itself. And now there are other companies that came in with us. So, for example, Saba around two years ago. We have the TalentLink recruiting platform that's pretty big. And I also worked a bit on that. I reviewed release notes basically for TalentLink. So, yeah, quite big. There's around four certifications for all of that platform. Okay, great. So that's quite big and quite yeah. complex. 25 product managers. So how many people like you in the role? Two or three. Release readiness consultant. There's one in the US. There's another one on another platform. There's really three or four of us with my manager. The other guys are in the US, so there's really less localization for their work. One of the only ones will really do a lot of localization linked to the releases and documentation. Okay, so complex product, a big product organization. How many releases per year, for example, to get a sense of the workload <laughs> that's on your shoulders? Yeah, so Cornerstone, it's four releases. We have to take into account uh, small and medium businesses, like smaller companies we work with. The main role will follow release, it's HR admins. And for medium-sized companies, it's pretty hard for them to follow releases. It's really hard when they're the only one. There's only maybe one person in company really following the release closely. It's for every three months. And um, with TalentLink, the recruiting platform, it's 10 per year. So obviously it's a smaller platform. But yeah, the idea is really communicating early that they know which features are going to come up and what kind of change they're going to see in their platform. That's the main thing. When you say that small and medium businesses, they struggle to keep up with the pace of releases, even though you know one release per quarter, it doesn't seem that much in the world of CICD and all of this. So does that mean that the releases you make have breaking impacts on what they're doing? Do they need to accommodate changes? It's not just here's a new feature, you can or cannot use it. It's really they have to change the way they work. They have to accommodate changes and they have to communicate within the company that the platform is changing and communicate to managers. Eventually, obviously, in a lot of cases, improve their work, that really improve the way they work every day and they use the platform. But obviously, they have to communicate, for example, that there's a new option in performance review, that, for example, you can have 20 users instead of 10 in a performance review. If the manager doesn't know, obviously, doesn't use it. So... It's really communicating to the, to the HR admins and then themselves communicating within their company. And for medium-sized companies, they have 2,000, 3,000 employees. There's less employees to communicate to, but there's only one HR admin usually who does it. So, yeah, it's quite disrupting. It's around 80, 90 features every release and 15 big features, and then the rest is announcements. So usually a small checkbox added somewhere in the UI and stuff like that. Okay, yeah, I understand. So I've worked in B2B as well, and that mm -hmm. is a common thing that you actually have power users or super mm -hmm. users or admins, and they are the ones 
who receive all the information about new features, but then they need to cascade down this information yeah. to their final end users. Yeah. Works well to have them do that because at the end of the day, if the final end users don't use the product properly or they're not satisfied with the product, it falls back on, on the, the software company, right? So what can you do in your role or what can a product manager do to facilitate this flow of communication? Yeah, it's really a lot of cascade, as you say. In our case, it's really the product managers doing great beta programs and early adopter programs, and they work directly with companies in that case. So really great, getting a lot of great feedback from companies and developing the right features, uh, concentrate the focus on the right features to develop for the power users. We know from the stats that the HR admins, after six months to a year, then they really become power users and they really become used to features. Less than six months, usually, it's really early to say that they are power users. It's in the companies, it's doing communication to managers and communicating to employees, having an employee portal through the employee portal, communicating about their platform, their learning solution. In our case, also user groups really communicate new features, eventually the roadmap. And we use the release web readiness webinars with CSMs, with client success managers to communicate new features also. So obviously there's a lot of the strategy within the company, within each company, but in our role in release readiness, it's really more broadcast. It's not really like client success manager and I go hand in hand with a client and, and I go with him every day and follow what he's doing. In our case, it's really more broadcast. Then in our own initiative on some cases between releases, then we'd go to user group and we communicate something. But in our case, it's really more overview and top level overview and broadcast to clients. Yeah, and I was actually a power user myself in mm. one of my previous jobs, and I would have on the internet a section dedicated to mm. new features and to user guides for my funnel end users. So basically, there's almost a role similar to use for the client. Like they also have their own release readiness, so it's more like yeah. feature readiness. So yeah. Yeah, it's it's really how they get organized. They have a lot of, also a lot of extra features and a lot of extra options that they can adopt. Of course, inline help, for example, with some doubles and some extra UI in their portal to help the users. They can adopt that. They have a lot of documentation in French, so they edit it basically and make it available within the companies. It's release readiness or webinars with CSMs, the release to features, and then after it's account managers some extra options and what's paid and what's not paid and stuff like that. And then it's the CSMs, the user groups and the user forums, how to best adopt and what are our strategies to adopt the feature, for example. Maybe we'll go into detail on some features later, but we had one, for example, that we called the Netflix of learning. So it was a learning portal for the employees and we had the playlist of learning, uh, Spotify, Spotify was a learning playlist. So these ones, we really did a lot of product adoption initiatives so that companies really know. Usually the first thing is that they know where to find information and two, how they can use information to make it available and tailor it to what they need within the companies. And three, eventually user groups, user firms, they, they attend and they see what other companies do. That's always, always really interesting for them. Yeah, I like the analogy with uh, Spotify because you take a a consumer product that lots yeah. of people are using and it 
straight away it makes it like very friendly and you think, oh, I know how to use this. Yeah, yeah it was a good idea and it was a good product marketing name to really facilitate and make it easier for admins to understand what it was. So you said you work with CSM, so customer success managers, you also work with product managers. Are these your main stakeholders or are there other people you need to involve when you're preparing release yeah. material? It's the main the main stakeholders because basically I work with the release readiness team in the US and we coordinate, we prepare the assets to make the release readiness webinars in English available to everyone in the community. These ones now are on demand. So we edit the videos, I do the editing with Camtasia, and then my team reviews, add some other stuff, and we make that available in the intranet or customer success portal. And for other webinars, release readiness in the MEA, it's the CSMs who do them. In France, I do it with the CSMs. So this one, we translate the assets, we translate the decks, and then we prepare demos eventually when we are in UAT, user acceptance testing. We go into sandbox and we show clients, we do small demos, what's coming up. And in other countries in Europe, and there's also APJ, they take the English deck, they translate, and then they present also themselves in their language. So that's the main stakeholders. And I work also with the localization project manager to coordinate a bit on the UI. I review the French UI. Yeah. So actually, when we are on talking about translation in this podcast there's also a section where we ask a product manager to ask you a question so this is a question from simon hey roman it's simona from cornerstone i would like to ask you how you manage preparing release readiness material in multiple languages thank you yeah yeah it's an interesting questions and it's a bit normal that they ask that and uh, several product managers ask that because behind the scenes they don't really know all that we do, and they know what we do in the US, but they don't know what we do in Europe in some cases, or what we do for translation. In a lot of companies, there would be a lot of different ways of doing it. There would be either placing it with translation agencies, some assets. We do that for TalentLink, we translate, and then we, we translate with an agency, and then we review. Um, in our case, what we do is that we really align first on the English content. And something that we've done really well in the last two or three years in is aligning with the guys who do the release notes, also the online help release notes, and we try to have the same content in English. One reason for that is not to have too many different questions, because what we had before is that we had two or three guys in English already writing up or technical writing different verbs or different excerpts, you know. So obviously the questions afterwards would be different. And then imagine once you translate, <laughs> would be even more question. So what we do now, we will really try to align on what we communicate in English. One location as much as possible per module or per suite for clients to access to within the community. And the release notes, the release summary, the release matrix, most of the text is the same. In the release matrix, it's a really short summary in Excel and they have the dates also with the availability dates in UAT. So for me in French also, I access that, I translate once, some paragraphs, and then I can reuse the translation array. I can leverage the content I've already done. And actually some features maybe have been pushed, have been, which have been delayed. I find it again three months later and I leverage the content. So that really avoids duplicating content, duplicating work, and finding different translations also. And when I find, when I look at the CSM's 
release readiness webinars and I see their decks in Spanish and Japanese, the decks are really similar, which is great, which is the idea also in the end is that brands worldwide, once we translate, have the same information. What we do, I translate a lot to French myself and I deliver the webinars with CSMs and the other guys in other countries, they translate themselves. We find that works better and also they take everything as self-service and they start and do it when they can. So that's the way we do it. We could do part of the documentation with an agency, but we don't do that for now. Okay. I think that shows also the importance of having a diverse team, people talking yeah. different languages. I know that personally, so obviously people can hear that I'm a French speaker yeah. initially. And I actually liked to review the material, so I'm not necessarily do the translation, but so like review the material or even like respond to clients, like on support tickets in French, because you can really see how the names of the features are yeah. translated or not. Sometimes they keep their English names. Yeah. The reason I work on it and I review is so that I align my documentation with the portal. Sometimes the feature is not in the portal yet. I've translated first and then I go to the portal later and edit pretty much the stuff in there. So, yeah. Okay. So that means product managers need to give you the information about the release early enough. So you've got time to yeah. do that translation work. Have you had sometimes some challenges in getting the material ready just because you didn't have time to translate everything before the release date? Yeah, I know, yeah, and it's a bit linked to CICD also, continuous integration, continuous development. Sometimes I do the documentation first and I have to invent a bit translation of a feature and then I edit it in the portal later. Sometimes I go into a beta portal or there's been a beta program and some stuff is already there. Sometimes not, depends. Sometimes I have to go doc first, sometimes I have to go portal first and I have half of it. So you always have to edit more your documentation later. So what can product managers do to help with that? So that because the product manager would be frustrated if the release is delayed as a result of translation. Sure. But what is the role they can play in facilitating this process? Good question. Yeah, it's really having their strings as early as possible. Really pull out all of the strings they're gonna have in the UI, and now that's done automatically with some portals, and they pull out the strings they're gonna have as soon as they have developed. They have all of the strings in English and obviously pretty clear ready for localization. And once that's sent early to a translation agency for the portal, obviously we have them early enough in stage in UAT. If not, we have them later. And then in that case, you have to update a bit later, third week of UAT, because we do a three week period or even later. And also clear documentation. That was on one of your questions. What can they do to help? In our case, we are really documentation first. And it's really that they make great US release readiness readiness videos because they do their videos and then we edit them and we have them for our webinars. So clear videos with clear documentation and use cases with the dates that we have communicated. Once they do that, obviously our job is much easier. So then if your job, if the product manager wants to help you and make sure it's a good release. What would you say is a good release? What are the success metrics to say, yes, we've done a good job here. We've all worked together and we've done a good release. Yeah, that's a good question. It's pretty for us seeing that HR admins are pulling as much as documentation as possible. When we see we have more people attending release readiness webinar and asking questions and obviously creating less support cases. When you have a feature that's not being communicated properly, 
not everything is there and you add up stuff later, then you have more people asking questions and, and to ask questions where they don't know where they have to go, did create a support case. So you can have 50 people at the same time as one morning creating 50 support cases. So that's really more documentation, less cases. And as we saw in France, we started early with the release readiness cycle program. We started the earliest EMEA. After one or two years, the questions get harder. So we do the release readiness webinar. Clients are ready earlier and they're asking tougher questions. That's a successful release. Okay, so does that mean you're working a lot with the support teams as well to get those numbers, like how many tickets are raised? What are the types of questions you're getting? A little bit, but we can pull the stats as self-service. So we work with support and a lot of my colleagues were in uh, support before, so really know the, the teams. But for the stats, we can get them as self-service. So. Okay, great. And what about, so we've talked about customers, but mm -hmm. there are other people potentially we need to know about releases. So mm -hmm. I'm thinking internal users, so for example, mm -hmm. Uh, people, well, that support team, actually, they need to know which new features are coming. And also your partners, if you've got implementation partners, they need to know because they then support your clients. So how does the information you give to customers differ from the information you give to these people? And what are the differences you see? Yeah, that's a good question. There's something that's done well as self-service. And actually, partners have access. An answer with partners first, and then another profile you mentioned is support internally. Partners, they have access to our, to kind of our employee portal. They have access to one section of it through our learning platform. They have a learning cohort that we call release cohort. Now we have one link per year, one same community every year, and they have all of the releases in there, and they can go in and ask questions. They have access to the PM's presentations earlier, earlier than the clients and they ask questions in there and actually when you ask a question in line with the video your question is at the time of the video so you, 1 p.m is talking at minute 40 and about this you ask a question in there it will appear at minute 40 so that's great and they can ask questions in there and my manager basically replies to questions so there's a mix of employees and partners in there who know themselves who can recognize themselves and reply and going back to what you were saying before, what's a good release is also when people exchange and reply to each other. We even have clients replying to other clients in our community. That makes our job even easier when we don't have to reply ourselves. So yeah, it's a learning cohort and internally also. And what we do, we update the certifications with a couple of questions. So the product certifications add a small section, release. And you have to ask, you have to answer a few questions every release, every three or four months. You get an email automatically when you've been certified and you maintain your certification. If you don't reply after, I don't know, this certain amount of time, then you lose your certification. You have to redo the whole thing. So I think that's a good idea because before they have to, re they have to redo the whole thing pretty often. So they follow the release and they answer these questions. So that forces them to go to online help, to go find the documentation. Yeah. So there's that. There's the communities, the partners in Success Center community, they access the same stuff as clients and they can access our webinars. So they can ask questions during the webinar. In St. France, we don't have too many people. We know who are partner, who are clients. But and anyway, when it's a commercial aspect, they have to check with their account manager. So they can pretty much ask the same questions technically as clients. That's no problem. 
I like the idea of recertification, which is easy. You know, every quarter yeah. you have a few questions because I've been a partner myself. And when you ask to redo the entire certification, yeah. I know how painful that is. Yeah. And what is good to measure, and what you said is a measure of the success of a release, is the engagement. Mm -hmm. And are people able to help each other? And you create that community where you have less work for you as a company because people can support each other. So in when I was partner, there was also a condition for the certification, which was your engagement on the community. Do you actually post messages? Do you help people? Did you volunteer to help with a user group, for example, and that was part of certification qualification. I send that, I'll forward that internally to make it tougher. <laughs> Not what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> I would say it's tougher, it's, yeah, just to make sure your community is engaged. And we had the same program, to be honest, with customers as well, and they're super users. The ones who wanted to be super engaged, wanted to be like champions of the product. Yeah, we have customer champions, recognized awards and stuff like that, like a lot of companies, yeah. And it's a way to gamify things as well, because when you can see yeah, how you're doing, maybe there's a table with the, the scores and the leaders who is the most engaged and all this. Yeah, I was talking to a partner manager once internally, and he said he took a week off, basically went into a partner's shoes, working with different clients and working with different solutions. And he said he had to access 13 different platforms. 13 different success center communities, equivalent to ours, 13 different platforms, like if he was working as, as a partner. So you imagine in, with all the terminology and all of the different accesses and stuff. So now, yeah, your, your communication has to be pretty clear and self-service and easy to find stuff, basically. Yeah. Exactly. Especially for your final end users as well, because as you said, they have, if we count the number of tools that we're using in a company. There's probably dozens of them. And this is not the most important tool for us. This is just one tool which we use for performance reviews or, you know, once in a while. So yeah, we don't want to be like to, yeah, we want it to work straight away. Great, right. Let's talk about actually the challenges. So there's another PM who's asked you a question. Is Apeksha and Apeksha has a question, which I'm really keen to hear the answer of. Hey, Romain. It's Apeksha from CSOD. I would like to know what is the most challenging part of a global release readiness program. Thank you. Yeah, that's a good question. And when you find in the PM questions, they really say global. They don't really say translation or localization. They really think global. And that's really interesting. It's really juggling between the different products and the different languages. You have translation memory, you have, you have glossaries, but there's some stuff you have to know on top of your head. And then you have some stuff you have to know where you can find it. The same for admins, where they know the locations, where they can find stuff, that makes it really easier for them. For the French program, what we did, we did a landing page and we split it with release, training and uh, certifications, Project Academy with our trainer and CSMs and Exchange. And we find that works pretty well. They find pretty much a lot of information on one page. And we did that page in other languages also, so that locally they can customize it to their needs, and local admins can find what they need. The challenge really is keeping up to date with the technology also in my role. You have sometimes you talk about APIs, you talk about integrations, you talk about a new product, a new partner. So you have to keep up to, up to date with what product managers are working on. And yeah, basically communicating the resources so that people find it 
at the right time at the right location. That's really the challenge, self-service as much as possible. So if I think about the future and where companies are going, most mm. of them are transitioning to a CICD world. That means releasing features more frequently. How is that impacting your role? What challenges does this cause? Yeah, so this one, basically even before when I was working with Columbus University internally, translate guides and translate documentation. So I work with other guys from within my team who produce documentation. Sometimes I would work on draft, for example, and they say, yeah, but that's not the final thing. And sometimes they wouldn't even send me the thing, you know, <laughs> the document. I say, yeah, but not really. I know pretty much in the draft what I have to, to work on, what you're going to use, and what maybe you're going to change because I follow the release. So I would look at the Jira tickets for the features. That allows you to getting some stuff done ahead. Because if you wait for 50 guides within your AT or release date, you cannot do them all in one day, you know? So you need to have some, some content stuff before. So as much as possible, be able to plan ahead and work with drafts. That's something that's always a constant, even though we did CICD, we had a calendar. So you have the dates, they are communicated, you can get ready. We plan the releases really early. We plan the release readiness program also really early. So it's really, Working with different file types, working with drafts and really anticipate as much as possible. Sometimes you have done something, obviously with CICD, you have worked on something that maybe is cancelled or is pushed back and comes in, comes back a bit later. But in my role, it's not such a big issue because maybe I've already translated it and then I keep it for later. So it's not, not such a big deal. But it's true, like you have to be more agile and in that case, flexible and more flexible than before. It seems that your company is already releasing frequently, but they yeah. have decoupled the release, which is when the feature is available in production from the deployment to customers. So you release yeah. on a regular basis, but only deployed to customers. We do fixes with patches, the small fixes with patch dates, but we don't do too much features outside of the release cycle windows, because otherwise it would be really hard for admins to follow. So if it would be a more technical product with devs, okay, they would be able to follow. But in our case, no, we don't push too much outside of release cycles. So that yeah. makes it easier for everyone. And that's the same experience I've got as well when we try to increase the mm. cadence and the pace mm. of releases, then customers were getting confused. There's so yeah. many things that they need to learn. Yeah you know, every single week or every two weeks, and sometimes it's on a Tuesday, sometimes it's on a Thursday. Yeah. And actually having that cadence, I found it to be much more, yeah, it, it was just better for customers. Yeah, but you can limit a bit, a bit, but you can also tell them to go and access the release readiness webinars and they'll find the information. As soon, as soon as you have published and they know where they have to go, that simplify a bit things. After obviously, if it's the cadence is too frequent and it's too crazy, no, you have to have some limitations. So in the final part of this podcast, it's a bit more fun. I make several propositions to you and you choose one of them. The first one is Slack or email. So yeah, I would prefer Slack, obviously. I think like a lot of you guys and devs, I saw devs really use it a lot. It's really easier to find stuff with the channels, but obviously for formal communications, email, email state. So when we have to insist a bit with a PM and hey, is that feature coming up? and you have to put someone in copy, then you send an email. So I don't know. I suppose a lot of companies maybe hasn't, haven't 
put really a final frame on this. But yeah, in, the, in our case, it's really a bit less informal Slack and quick reply Slack. But no, it's more formal than you have to come back to email. But personally, Slack for myself, I would prefer. Okay, so for all PMs listening who have worked with you yeah. or will work with you, if you receive an email from Roman, <laughs> that means yeah. you're it's, not doing your job. <laughs> it's pretty much the case for everyone, so from everyone in our team. So yeah, but uh, we communicate pretty quickly with Slack. Great. Next one is so because you also work on the content that is going with customers and that content has to explain how the features work, but also what is the value. So product marketing or product management? It's a good question. I like both. My profile is closer to product marketing. I like delivering the roadmap also I translate the roadmap. More product marketing, but I also like product management. Right. And in terms of people who have to receive information, customers or partners? Some customers are really power users. Partners would have really tough questions. Usually customers, and I like attending the customer forums also and see how they adapt the product. So I would say customers. Material for training, video or written documentation? You need both. And we have both. We have a lot of videos, but you're pretty much constrained to have both. There's no really workaround around around. I prefer videos. I do videos with Camtasia. But yeah, sometimes and obviously written documentations, some quick publications. And sometimes, you know, for local guys and for EMEA, for some features, obviously it's great for local CSMs to do a video and they do it in their language and you have less, less text to translate. So you just have the video, but you need both at the end of the day. So personally, I would prefer a video. Yeah, I like video and I think users in general prefer videos, but it's so much more work to do if you want to translate it, if you want to change it. Let's say you got something wrong, you have to redo the video, whereas just documentation can just be updated quickly. There's a screenshot gone wrong, you have to redo the video. And for accessibility, you should have captions in theory, but it's more work. Thanks. And I love the fact that you mentioned accessibility. This is a topic that I really care about and I think all PMs should care about. So it's good to see that it goes beyond the product as well. How do we train our users? We need to make sure, yeah, it's got caption. And that's also why we've got a variety of formats as well. Great. So if you had one final piece of advice for product managers who want to work better with people in your roles? How can they make your life easier? What is the one thing that makes a good product manager for working with you? I think one general is really a Jira documented, and I guess it's a really good, the same a lot of companies. If the, the feature is really well documented in Jira and everything is checked and everything is ticked on time, then we know as self-service, and in a lot of cases, I have nine hours of difference behind or ahead and everything is up to date, that's great. And clear and simple use cases. So it can be in Jira or somewhere else. But uh, if the, sim the use case is clear, and I find because I translate it later, if it's clear in English, then it becomes clear in the other language. If it's not clear in English, then it doesn't work, obviously. So clear and simple use cases. Great, perfect. Thank you very much for your time. It's been a great conversation and I hope that product managers have understood all the complexity and the dependency in your role as well and why it's important for them to collaborate with people in release readiness. So if people want to carry on the conversation with you or ask some follow-up questions, what should they do? Thanks a lot. Yeah, so uh, LinkedIn, I guess, Roman release readiness 
all Slack where we follow the craft group and Slack, then you can find me there also. Perfect. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks a lot to you. Thanks for having me. It was great. Thank you everyone for taking the time to listen to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it has enabled you to understand your stakeholder and inspired you to better work with them to make successful products. If so, please share the link with your friends and colleagues. And if you want to suggest some topics, some guests, if you have questions you'd like me to ask during the interviews, or if you have any feedback, you can write to me at magalipelissier at hotmail.fr.